Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. I want to get to um, probably within the next two or three days. We have to show some support to the people and some awareness to the folks in Syria who are really under the hammer in reference to fighting President Assad Jr., 45-year-old, who's sending in the heavy weapons and things along those lines. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show. Uh, so to our folks on the East Coast who I think experienced their first earthquake today or second earthquake, 5.8 on the Richter scale, Hope you guys out there are doing well on this uh, evening. I think it's about 10.01 p.m. your time. So I hope you guys are doing all right out there, aren't still a little uh, shook up, no pun intended. I don't know why this <laughs> just popped in my head. But really, I hope you guys are doing all right. I'm glad there was no uh, death reported, injuries reported, just a lot of uh, nerves, uh, frazzled nerves. Uh, that's essentially along those lines of concern for our people on the East Coast. Today we're going to talk about Libya. Much is going on. I'm sure you guys are aware the battle is still raging in Libya. The question is, what is actual truth? What is actual rumor? What is actually going on? Uh, are the rebels in, in, in power? Have they taken over Tripoli? Uh, where is uh, Colonel Gaddafi? The sons have been arrested, and the sons show up, and the one escapes, and the other one just shows up in uh, in front of the uh, Rixos Hotel in Libya. I mean, down in Tripoli, and there's just too much going on. So. We're going to do an hour and uh, 30 minutes tonight. You know, we have a lot of uh, our, our uh, audio. I'm going to hear you guys, let you guys listen to, hear different opinions, various opinions. I'll definitely give my insight into this whole scenario. I have a funny feeling how it's going to turn out. But it's very interesting how this whole thing actually, when, when the rebels or what have you from the West, because it was the West doing most of the fighting, not the ones from the East. They were pretty, pretty much uh, laid down by Ms. Rada. But... When I heard the logistics of how the rebels actually came into um, Tripoli, it sounded very familiar. Then it hit me, and I'll share that with you guys later on. So let's get a little here. People sitting out there, I haven't talked to you guys in a while, a long time since I've actually uh, spoke with you guys. Was it about two weeks, I think? <laughs> two weeks. Um, Surge, three weeks, splint. I'll be wearing the splint for a few. Uh, I've been wearing it for since August 11th. There's Thursday and replace it with a cast that I have to wear, I believe, for four weeks. Oh God! <laughs> so, but wrist surgery went very well. Can't complain. Well, I could complain because I'm right-handed, but nevertheless, I'm alive. Blessed to be alive. And I want to say thank you to everybody out there that showed concern for my well-being. Your text message, your email. I greatly appreciate it. It really means a lot to me. Now, let's get on with this groove here. 
let's hear it. We're going to play some Russian Today, some ABC News, some uh, Sky News, some Al Jazeera. But as the rebels entered Libya, entered Libya, they're already in Libya, as they entered Tripoli, ABC News made a report this August 21st. Let's give it a listen. We begin with that breaking news overnight, a big story here. New details as rebels take control of Libya. They chanted, it's over, Frizzhead, using a mocking nickname for soon-to-be ousted leader Gaddafi. The rebel victory was the culmination of a closely coordinated plan by rebels, NATO, and anti-Gaddafi residents inside Libya. We begin our coverage now with ABC's Jeffrey Kaufman, who has been watching the story unfold inside the Libyan capital. This is the moment so many Libyans have been waiting so long to see. This revolution has been taken six months, but for many, it is a matter of waiting their entire lives, 41 years of the Gaddafi regime, and it is over, crumbling as we speak. The rebel forces and their supporters now running freely in Green Square in the heart of Tripoli. They're taking over government buildings, and among the very dramatic moments that led up to this, Sheikh al-Islam, the most powerful son of Gaddafi, was arrested late Sunday night. The, the one question that is not clear, where is Gaddafi himself and what will happen to him? But for many, that is academic because he clearly no longer controls this country. People from hill towns like this hopping in their cars, heading to Tripoli to celebrate, something that even a week ago would have seen them shot. But now their dream, at least the first step of it, is in place as Libya inches towards freedom. Jeffrey Kaufman, ABC News, Nalut, Libya. And obviously a dramatic last few hours as this has unfolded. We're going to be watching this throughout the morning here. And already we saw a celebration outside of the White House. Dozens of Libyan Americans came out to kind of mark the end of an era here. Again, it's the Gaddafi era apparently over here within days, if not hours at this point. So already getting a strong reaction from Libyans here in our country. And we've already seen that oil prices have begun to drop as a result of the fact that they normally export about a million and a half gallons uh, of oil from there. And that, that has been, that production has been shut down yeah. and potentially could be uh, reopened. Political fallout, economic fallout, a huge story on a lot of levels. So we'll keep an eye on that throughout the morning. And of course, President Obama was in touch with his security team overnight as these dramatic events unfolded. In between briefings, the president did stop at a seafood restaurant and actually visited some friends on Martha's Vineyard, where he, of course, is vacationing for a few days. The president later did issue a statement saying, in part, Tripoli is slipping from the grasp of a tyrant. The United States has recognized the Transitional National Council now as the legitimate governing authority in Libya. The future of Libya is now in the hands of the Libyan people. We'll, we'll find that out. <laughs> so. Let's see what President Obama had to say, uh, I believe, yesterday, August 22nd, so when news came his way regarding the uh, uh, rebels entering Tripoli. And joyful longing for human freedom uh, echoed the voices that we had heard all across the region, from Tunis to Cairo. In the face of these protests, the Gaddafi regime responded with brutal crackdowns. Civilians were murdered in the streets campaign of violence was launched against the Libyan people. Gaddafi threatened to hunt peaceful protesters down like rats. As his forces advanced across the country, there existed the potential for wholesale massacres of innocent civilians. In the face of this aggression, the international community took action. The United States helped shape a UN Security Council resolution that mandated the protection of Libyan civilians. An unprecedented coalition was formed that included the United States, our NATO partners, and Arab nations. And in March, the international community launched a military operation to save lives and stop Gaddafi's forces in their tracks. In the early days of this intervention, the United States provided the bulk of the firepower, and then our friends and allies stepped forward. The Transitional National Council established itself as a credible representative of the Libyan people, and the United States, together with our European allies and friends across the region recognized the TNC as the legitimate governing authority in Libya. Gaddafi was cut off from arms and cash and his forces were steadily degraded. From Benghazi to Misrata to the Western Mountains, the Libyan opposition courageously confronted the regime and the tide turned in their favor. Over the last several days, the situation in Libya has reached a tipping point. 
as the opposition increased its coordination from east to west, took town after town, and the people of, Blip, uh, of Tripoli rose up to claim their freedom. For over four decades, the Libyan people had lived under the rule of a tyrant who denied them their most basic human rights. Now, the celebrations that we've seen in the streets of Libya shows that the pursuit of human dignity is far stronger than any dictator. I want to emphasize that this is not over yet. As the regime collapses, there's still fierce fighting in some areas, and we have reports of regime elements threatening to continue fighting. Although it's clear that Gaddafi's rule is over, he still has the opportunity to reduce further bloodshed by explicitly relinquishing power to the people of Libya and calling for those forces that continue to fight to lay down their arms for the sake of Libya. As we move forward from this pivotal phase, the opposition should continue to take important steps to bring about a transition that is peaceful, inclusive, and just. As the leadership of the TNC has made clear, the rights of all Libyans must be respected. True justice will not come from reprisals and violence. It will come from reconciliation and a Libya that allows its citizens to determine their own destiny. In that effort, the United States will be a friend and a partner. We will join with allies and partners to continue the work of safeguarding the people of Libya. As remaining regime elements menace parts of the country, I've directed my team to be in close contact with NATO as well as the United Nations to determine other steps that we can take. To deal with the humanitarian impact, we're working to ensure that critical supplies reach those in need, particularly those who've been wounded. Secretary Clinton spoke today with her counterparts from leading nations of the coalition on all these matters, and I've directed Ambassador Susan Rice to request that the UN Secretary General use next month's General Assembly to support this important transition. For many months, the TNC has been working with the international community to prepare for a post-Gaddafi Libya. As those efforts proceed, our diplomats will work with the TNC as they ensure that the institutions of the Libyan state are protected, and we will support them with the assets of the Gaddafi regime that were frozen earlier this year. Above all, we will call for an inclusive transition that leads to a democratic Libya. As we move forward, we should also recognize the extraordinary work that has already been done. To the American people, these events have particular resonance. Gaddafi's regime has murdered scores of American citizens in acts of terror in the past. Today we remember the lives of those who were taken in those acts of terror and stand in solidarity with their families. We also pay tribute to Admiral Sam Lockley and all of the men and women in uniform who have saved so many lives over the last several months, including our brave pilots. They've executed their mission with skill and extraordinary bravery, and all of this was done without putting a single U.S. troop on the ground. And there we are, people. Those are President Obama's words, obviously. Uh, I'll have my insight in a few moments. I think some of the things are very interesting in reference to what you have to say to those for fighting for human rights and what have you. But let's go to uh, analyst Lindsay Hillsman. She was in, she's in Libya, and let's see what she has to say. Welcome to here inside Tripoli itself to Lindsay Hillsman, who joins us again from Zawiya, about 30 miles uh, off the capital there. Um, well, to here seems pretty clear there are big gun battles going on, uh, Lindsay, but in the fog of euphoria, spin and propaganda, it is a fact that there is still serious resistance from government forces. Oh, yes, there's no question of that. And it's interesting that when Colonel Gaddafi spoke, he sort of turned it around. He talked about liberating Tripoli from the rebels. The rebels, of course, talk about liberating Tripoli from Colonel Gaddafi. But there are all sorts of machinations going on which are quite hard to fathom, which may be just as decisive as the fighting. In the last few days, we've heard persistent reports of prisoners, political prisoners, escaping. A lot of these prisoners are people who were arrested at the beginning of the revolution in February, from Abu Salim, which is a very famous prison, and from several others, including some, we are told, this afternoon. Now, those people, how did they escape? Did the prison guards let them out? We don't know yet. Also, what's happening with the tribes? The tribes are very important in Libya, and different tribes have different positions within the army. Now, 
one of the most important people from one tribe, the Mogaha tribe, who was with Colonel Gaddafi at the beginning during his revolution in 1969. He's been out of favor for a long time, but he went into exile. He gave a big talk yesterday. Now, that may persuade many members of his tribe to desert. So there are all these other things going on, apart from the straight fighting, which may decide what happens in the end. Well, now, the, uh, the rebels are all very good, as they always have been, saying we're on the road to Tripoli, it's going to happen, it's going to happen today, tomorrow. What's your hunch from where you see it in Zawiya? Oh, I wouldn't be so bold as to guess, but I would say that there is still a lot of fighting to go. And I would say that it is not something which can just easily happen overnight unless Colonel Gaddafi changes his mind and wakes up tomorrow morning and says, you know, on second thoughts, I think I'll go off to Tunisia. At the moment, that doesn't seem very likely. Everything depends on the inner circle around him and what they do in the next few days. Do they stick with him? Do they fight it out? Or do they desert? Lindsay Hilson there in Zawiya. People, it's going to get, it's really going to get interesting there. Uh, there's two things I want to touch on before we go to another point of view, because then we want to make sure everybody um, has their input in this, is that I, I, if, someone could ask, if someone could ask President Obama a question, I got this message actually, you know, texting on my phone. They like to know, they like to ask President Obama, why is it that someone such as Gaddafi, who he actually was shaking hands with several months ago, uh, at a conference, I believe, in Europe. I can't remember exactly the event. But why Colonel Gaddafi warrants NATO action and all these kind of things and, you know, sanctions, embargoes, and what have you, um, yet Mugabe in Zimbabwe has been oppressing his people since independence, Har harassing, arresting, people disappearing. I believe the wife of Sivan Garai was killed in a car accident, which many people think the government set up. We don't know. But why is it Mugabe gets to do what he wants to do down in Zimbabwe when he's been terrorizing his population uh, more so than Colonel Gaddafi, if you really study the history of Africa? Beyond that, is, is it really unfair to get Rwanda to see how there's no democracy there? Um, are there deeper issues at hand here? We should be doing, I'd like to do a roundtable, see if I can get a Eric Yambo, Joseph Mbangu, uh, Fofo uh, on the show. I see we can arrange that maybe the next week and a half. I really like to talk about these issues because I really like to know how a lot of people feel when they see these situations going down and they ask themselves, well, wait a minute. If this guy is fighting for the human rights and dignity and democracy, why is it these folks can't get um, the support? And is it really an issue of American truth being on the ground anymore when uh, there weren't any in this case, but there were some uh, special forces from Britain and France? So we'll talk about that after the break. Um, let's play a little music here because, again, we have a little under, a little over an hour left, and I want to get as much as I can in here. Conversely, I'm medicated, so I can't go so long this evening. But I know there's a lot more of what's happening in Libya right now, but what's to come now? Let's take this break here a little bit of Elisa. <laughs>
I can get the link here up for you guys working properly. Thanks for your patience here. Go to, if you go on Facebook, look for World Protest versus Walmart. Yes, look for World Protest versus Walmart Congo ad. If you go on Facebook, look for that link. You'll find it there. Or just find me on Facebook, Saeed Kepsidabinga. Uh, if you're on my page, you can see how my name spells. If not, it's S-A-I-D. Middle initial is K-A-K-E-S-E. Dibinga, D-I-B-I-N-G-A. It's D is in Delta. Bob I, N is in Nancy, G is in George, A. Send me a message or a friend request or have you, and I'll forward you to that page. But the outcry has been loud, and already a few of the Congolese have issued some rebuttal videos. But again, I want to share that with you. That's our show tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Check it out. I believe we're only going to be on for 30 minutes. But it's called Hit 'em Up. Walmart ad disrespects Congolese. You know, we got to take care of some business here. Back to the program, people. Russia Today spoke with the former deputy speaker of Belgium, uh, the Belgian parliament, Mr. or his excellent Lord uh, Vanuf. He had some questions. Uh, he needed to, not questions, he had an insight into the Libyan situation. Let's hear what he has to say live on Russia Today. Oh, we cannot get this feed to play. Now, that is not good. So, let's see if we can go on. Let's uh, get now more on the situation in Libya. I'm joined live by international consultant and former deputy speaker of the Belgian parliament, Lord Van Oost. He joins me now live from Brussels. Thanks for being with us here on RT. Now, the U.S. and the European Union are calling for smooth and peaceful transition of power. Is that really going to be possible, given that the country's been gripped by violence for, what, for something like five months now? Look, the, uh, the U.S. and European Union, they have very good professional analysts. They're not going to say it out loud, but they know perfectly well that there is not going to be a smooth and peaceful transition. Well, that's what they're counting on. That will give them the perfect excuse to intervene militarily on the ground. You're saying then that NATO will not be pulling out then by its, uh, the mandate, the date uh, by September? No. They will not. So are you saying then, therefore, we're going to see NATO increasing its presence, boots on the ground? Well, well, if it's increasing presence, well, whatever form it is, I don't know. But there will be, they will militarily keep controlling Libya. That's a fact. How they will do it, there are several options. But that they will remain there is, for me, that's almost 100% uh, certain. So you have no faith whatsoever in the National Transitional Council? Well, why should I? I mean, I mean, let's, this, this MPC thing has never proven anything beyond that, that they are former Libyan, uh, former Gaddafi uh, people, some people with a very confused backgrounds. So far, they have proven nothing. What's behind it then? What is the driving factor then, do you think, from uh, NATO's point of view, from the West, is it is it really gas and oil, as so many commentators are saying? Is that well, too simplistic? Uh, of, course, of course, it is gas and oil, certainly. But it's more than that. This is this is. I mean, I don't like big words, but what I see is is the the second the beginning of the second colonization of Africa. It's as simple as that. NATO and the economic powers are really intent on taking back Africa. But the people of Libya wanted this, didn't they? It's pretty clear no, no. to see that they wanted Gaddafi to go. Listen, listen, uh, we have to distinguish certain things. Gaddafi, uh, I mean, uh, nobody is going to shed a tear about this, this dictator. I mean, the, but the thing is, what started as an uprising by, uh, by people on, on very justified issues, I mean, I can understand that many Libyans are happy to get rid of, of Gaddafi, but they have not free themselves. The, the uprising was militarized by NATO, and NATO is not going to give away that position. So they are, the thing is, what I'm afraid of, they got rid of one bad thing, and they will get another one. And will we see disillusionment in Libya like we've seen in Egypt? Uh, well, Egypt is not exactly the same thing. At least you can claim there that the president, that the regime, was toppled by a real uh, uprising, by a real civilian uprising. This is not the case in Libya. This is a different thing. The, the disillusion is already built, built in from the day that NATO started bombing. 
I'd just like to end briefly. Um, you, you paint a pretty bleak view of the future of Libya. Do you think this is going to be more sectarian-based then? Obviously, there are tribal differences at the moment and obviously uh, religious ones. So how do you see the, the instability playing, uh, playing out in the future there? In what way? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that sectarian violence is going to break out any day soon now. I mean, if history teaches us any lesson, people or organizations who take power by violence are not really tempted to give away that power by democratic means. I mean, it, this is not something that I learned from history, and this is going to be the same thing in Libya, just as in other countries, which, by the way, makes a big difference with Tunisia and what is happening in Egypt, which is not to say that Egypt is already out of the desert, so to speak. Uh, that's, not, that's another issue. But what I'm afraid of, yes, indeed, and I'm not happy about it, Absolutely not. Uh, don't misunderstand me. But I'm pretty sure that sectarian violence is going to break out in Libya, yes. You make some very interesting observations. Thanks very much indeed. International consultant and former deputy speaker of the Belgian parliament. The Lord pleasure. Christ. Thanks. Now, that's definitely you know, they're on, another, on the other side of the table. I'm going to give you another view um, that was kind of from the whole scenario, how it started, how it ended up. And, and again, I must tell you why this whole thing looks very similar to an uh, incident that happened almost 20 years ago. All right, so let's go to Sky News. Uh, they had their future predictions on a post-Qaddafi era. This is aired live. Uh, they can't get into bed with the Islamists, who are marginal at the moment anyway. Uh, the Berbers up in the mountains don't really have a cohesive <clears throat> political dialogue with anybody. This is what they've got to work with. Uh, the British and the French helped draft this um, constitution, which will be put... Uh, to some sort of gathering of the NTC and all the tribal leaders in about a month's time. The people at the very top do seem to mean what they say when they want a genuine transition to democracy. The problem, and they say they're not going to stand for office as well, so they're not in it for themselves, they say. The problem will, will come down the line when you'll have a certain tribe from a certain area which did very well out of the Gaddafi years, and which says, well, hang on, we're in an oil-rich area, why are you cutting us out of this process? I mean, basically, you're going to have to use the Libyan money to parcel it out, to spread the sunshine around. Uh, so it's not just about the NTC uh, wanting a Jeffersonian democracy uh, in Libya. It's about hard politics and parceling out power to the various factions in the country. Now, this is what went down here in this little groove, if you don't mind. But let me see here. Why am I in a separate place? Oh, I see what's going on here. We actually have a second show going at the same time in the background, so my apologies, people. So let's see if we can get rid of that audio noise there in the back. And in the meantime, let's just do... Ah, there it is. That's a commercial. <laughs> hey, why are we a commercial running during our show here? It's interrupting our groove. What's happening here? Hey. <laughs> Let's go to a little music here, all right? Because this little rumor we have to take care of that. Uh, the order commercial. We have a second show going on in the other studio. So let's see what we can do here and to get this thing reprised, all right? So, anyways, people, this is how it went down. We can have this thing going properly. We got that taken care of now? Okay, our second show is actually on Black Hollywood in film. So I heard the deodorant commercial in the back. So I was really cracking up. We have like eight people behind me who are cracking up also, who are motioning that they're putting on some deodorant. So anyway, so listen, the battle in Libya was a stalemate for about six, five, six months. This is what happened according to the reports that came out. Um, commandos, we'll say Western rebel commandos, came in by boat on the shore um, of Libya. NATO... Now, let's get it. Let's not get it twisted here. American AWACS, early warning aircraft, flying above the country, giving warnings to the rebels on the ground. So, for example, if there were snipers in a certain area, they'll tell the rebels to hold back, call in the airstrike, kill the sniper, and then the rebels could advance. On top of that, in the eastern part, the British and the French, but I believe mostly the British, had special forces on the ground in the west, in the east teaching these guys how to use weapons and training and, and, and coordinating, what have you. Now, remember, the mandate said, we are, here to protect, we are here to protect civilians, we're here to protect civilians, we're here to protect civilians. That was the mandate. But yet the British had troops, had special forces on the ground in eastern Libya teaching them how to use weapons. Conversely, in the West, if you remember, 
France dropped some air, some weapons about a month ago, a little over a month ago, in western in western Libya, where the uh, many of the Berbers were were there in the hills, and that was a big outcry. Now, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said, "Well, you know, that's part of the mandate to help protect the civilians," and it's it's explicitly clear in the in the in the, uh, in the new resolution that was passed shortly after the initial resolution was passed that we have to put a no-fly zone, we have to protect civilians, and all that stuff, yada, 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 you know what I'm talking about. The problem is that the second UN resolution actually addressed the arms embargo in the first resolution, saying that weapons cannot be dispersed to the, you know, essentially weapons cannot be given to any Libyans at all, no matter what. So that's that's one and two right there. Now, during this whole thing, um, weapons were being smuggled into Libya. Now, let me tell you why this sounds familiar, because this is exactly what um, Paul Kagame with the Rwandan Patriot Front did in 1994, from 1992 to 1993 to 1994. What they were doing is that they were infiltrating their soldier into Kagame, bringing in weapons, you know, under, under food trucks and what have you. They were infiltrating so that when the, when the plane got shot down, the signal came from Kagame Okay, we need to attack now because he already knew the plane was hit because he ordered it. Now, I'm not saying it. That's actually proven fact. All right? Now, so when the RPF invaded Rwanda, the Rwandan army, uh, the RPF coming from Uganda, that fight the RPF that was already in Kigali. And at the same time, the genocide started. So they were essentially trying to fight a war on two fronts by trying to stop the genocide. Now, as I articulated in an earlier show, and I had been thinking this for a couple of years, the Rwandan army asked Kagame, say, look, we'd like to stop the, you know, we'd like to have the ceasefire so we can address the genocide. Kagame said no. Now, we won't go deeper into that until, like, another show. So I wanted to come back and say, as the truth, now I'm not saying this is an original plan or anything like that, but it was very interesting how it was literally almost a copy of what the RPF did when it got done. Infiltrating Kagali. When the food came in to uh, the refugees and what have you into Kigali, they made sure weapons came along with that. The signal was the plane being shot down because President Kagame said attack. Now, the signal that came here in Tripoli was that when the weapons were in there, they had sleeper cells, what have you. But if you remember whoever followed the reports, a couple of days ago, there was a report that the mosque was inciting the people to take arms, take arms up against Colonel Gaddafi. It turned out that that was actually the signal to the sleeper cells that it's time to attack. That's how it happened, and that's how the forces all came into collusion into entering Tripoli. You understand that? That's how it went down. That's how it flowed. It's a crazy situation. It is a crazy situation, and we're going to get more into this. But let's take a commercial break here. Let's have a little fun. Hold on for one minute. Let's see what we can give you guys. Uh, uh, let's give a little another. Arab scene here, painted black.
Rolling Stones, Painted Black. People, we have a little under 18 minutes here. I think I inadvertently said 60 minutes. We're actually only here for six. Uh, I think I said inadvertently 90 minutes. We're actually only here for 60 minutes. So, people, there was a little story that came out of Libya, and again, we'll continue on. But there's something that's been on my mind about this whole thing. Uh, earlier, the former speaker of the Belgian Parliament, he spoke earlier in reference to that he believes sectarian violence is going to take place. I agree with that totally. I'm not going to, you know, I think you already know my opinions when it comes to the Libyan situation. I've tried to stay very objective and not convey I'm with this side or that side, just to send the facts. I think certain angles of it are very troubling in terms of why is the intervention as um, uh, the gentleman from Meet the Press acts, his name escapes me, what did Libya do to get to win the lottery in reference to um, NATO intervention when you had a slaughter going on Ivory Coast, the French got involved, they will say. But you look what happened in Zimbabwe. I won't, I won't even get to Congo. We'll just leave that as, we'll do that for another show. But what's the criteria these days? Now, um, in the eastern part a couple weeks ago, one of the general, I think it's General Yunus, I think it's from the Wahafar tribe, not too sure. But he was, a, he was killed. He was murdered. Same thing, right? Okay. He was called in for questioning, and he was killed. Now, his tribe, or his ethnic group, is a very powerful tribe. And they've been demanding justice for uh, his death. And the words coming from them were along the lines of, Either you give us justice for his death or we'll do it ourselves. Now, in the West, it was the Western people doing, the Western rebels doing a lot of the fighting. I'm not picking sides here. If you study the articles, you say, follow the news, follow the report, it's the West that was doing a lot, of, a lot of the fighting. They're the ones, I believe, that entered Tripoli first. Then you then word came out that the Eastern rebels were coming in. Now, one of the problems in the West, and this is a small example of reference to the tribalistic at the nature of this whole conflict is that they were essentially broken, uh, the divisions essentially self, uh, self segregated themselves by town. So we'll say uh, the Los Angeles tribe got together and this formed this division, the Compton tribe formed that division, the Boston tribe formed that division, the Toronto tribe formed that division. And if you had to go see this rebel area, you had, you had to go on permission from the rebel leader of that area who was from the same tribe. Now, you, you can actually take input. It wasn't just the Berber flag. And the Berbers weren't allowed to speak their own language. They spoke their own language in private, but Gaddafi suppressed their language being an official language in public. All right? Now, so you know they're going to have, they're, they're going to have, they're going to have their say. Also, a lot of people want to say they're pro-government forces, but I think a lot of people, it's very easy to forget that many of the troops that were fighting were defending Libya. They didn't care about Gaddafi. They were the Libya. So I think it's very easy. I think it's to say, well, you know, the pro-Gaddafi forces are fighting the rebels. Uh, let's not get it twisted here. Now, one of the things I think people have to remember is uh, there was a rumor. There was actually a uh, talk of Salif and Mohammed being arrested by uh, the rebels, as you, I think you heard earlier. I think they had uh, the three older sons, the three sons. Uh, were arrested. That's what was being said. The problem is that, well, they said Saif al-Islam was arrested. But let me let you hear something real quick. This is our country. This is our country. This is our people. And we live here and we die here. And we are going to win. Because we, the people are with us. That's why we are going to win. Look at them. Look at them. In the streets. Everywhere.
you know that was Saif al-Islam uh, Muammar Gaddafi's son that was the guy reported to be arrested by the rebels two days ago on August 19th I believe it was August yeah I believe it was August 19th that was actually uh, what you just heard was he was taken took place August 22nd when out of the blue as the rebels were in Tripoli a white armored S- con- oh, a convoy of SUVs pulled up in front of the Rixos Hotel, and someone said, "Wait a minute, who's inside? This guy, Saif, um, Islam is inside." The guy goes to the window, knocks on the on the window. He says, "Dad, Islam, are you in there?" The window comes down. People, it's Saif Al Islam. Parked in front of the resource hotel. I understand it was on the government control, what have you. He has a picture taken. That's actually who you heard speaking. Now, or is 36 hours. 20 minutes after he leaves the hotel, tomorrow comes on, and then he was gone again. Now, he said, he said, Colonel Gaddafi's father is safe. His sisters are safe. And they're still in Tripoli. And when, when asked about the ICC because there's a warrant for his arrest, he said, to hell with them. Excuse my language. I'm probably not anybody. He said, to hell with them. Now, the, the NCC, the National Transitional Council, that everybody's recognized as the, as the leader of, of, of the legitimate government of Libya, even though they weren't elected, and as the, the prior person said, they were former associates of Gaddafi, right? They said there must have been a mis- miscommunication between their, their office, which is in Benghazi, way in the west, and Tripoli, which is closer towards, I'm sorry, Benghazi, which is way in the east, versus Tripoli, which is a little closer towards the western side of Libya. Now, in regarding the National Transition Council, no one really knows who's mem- what the membership is. Even when, Sen- when Congressman or Senator McCain went there, the membership, and the word from a lot of the American intelligence agency is that they're full of extremists, al-Qaeda, and other elements along those lines. Now, Beng, uh, the Benghazi rebels, or what's it, the NTC, they were based there in Benghazi, they said they're going to immediately move to Tripoli. They have set up an office right outside of Tripoli, but they said they are in hiding. Now, this is the leg- legitimate peop- uh, ruler of the country, uh, country, as said by many countries, right? Okay. Yet, they have established their office, they moved to Tripoli, but their office is in hiding. I think one of the reasons why they still might be in hiding is that there's approximately, you know, Libya's only so big. There's only about 6 million people there. And I believe uh, a good amount lives in Tripoli also. The problem is that there's allegedly 65,000 uh, Libyan troops in Tripoli. There's a story about one of them I need to tell you about in a second. Where they all, where they all go, because rumor was that Khamis, who ran the Khmer Brigade, he essentially just left the base out to guard the gates, came back to Libya. No one knows where he is. There were some of the soldiers dressing as, as rebels, mixing with the crowd. There were some fights here and there. They got the Gaddafi compound. We'll talk about that in a second. But no one knows where he were. No one knows where Kaimis is. No one knows where all these troops is. These troops are. And another thing is that when the rebels entered Libya, they all broke up and went to their respective neighborhoods, the neighborhoods they came from. So we're in, in, uh, we go into Boston. The Roxbury uh, rebels don't go to Roxbury. Dorchester to Dorchester. South and South Boston, North and North End, Mattapan and Mattapan. All right, Cambridge to Cambridge. Already it broke down along those lines in Tripoli. What do you think is, is coming down the road for anybody that has studied world news and international politics? You can definitely see, particularly when it's time to disarm, because there's always been a historical rivalry between or uh, issues between Tripoli and Benghazi. Now you throw in the mix that you have the Westerners who did a lot of the fighting are going to say, wait a minute, fighting here. We need to get we need to get broken off a piece of the pie here. So you can see what's coming. These next couple of days are going to be very critical. On top of that, at the end of August, NATO had to vote to whether to authorize the resolution for another three months. 
already four countries said they don't want to be part of, the, part of NATO mission. And for the NATO mission to continue for another three months, they have to have a unanimous vote. Now, Germany, Merkel, is pressing the Security Council of the UN to release Libyan assets. So now we're not exactly sure where Gaddafi is. You're not exactly sure where three of the sons are. Well, Saeed is riding around in a convoy of armored SUVs, in Tripoli, mind you. So on top of that, the National Transition Council, who was based in Benghazi, moving off, they set up an office in Tripoli, but their office is in hiding outside of Tripoli in an undisclosed location. Do you really feel that the next couple of days are really going to be good for Libya? And the wild card is almost like, where is Waldo? Where is Gaddafi? Where is Gaddafi? Colonel Gaddafi. Now, there's a little story here I want to play for you guys. It's uh, Sky News' Alex Crawford. She had met one of the rebels who actually, when they stormed the compound, and his compound is almost, Gaddafi's compound was almost six kilometers um, square. Right, large. Well, this guy, when they finally got in, this guy went to his, went to Gaddafi's bedroom, took a hat and a gold chain and some weird stuff. Let me let me let you hear the story for yourself. All right. I'm next to Mr. Al Windy, who has Colonel Gaddafi's hat on his head, a Colonel Gaddafi's. Well, I don't know what you call this, but it's a sort of uh, a, a Masonic sort of. Um, bushy thing yeah, that he exactly. used to throw around and, and his necklace. Now, where have you been, Wendy? Uh, well, I've been in the Western uh, uh, Mountains since uh, four months ago. I was fighting Gaddafi troops uh, in Kikla and other places of, and parts of Libya. And now, I, this is the first day uh, after four months from struggling against Gaddafi troops. And I'm, I'm really proud for, from, for this moment that, that the Libyans have waited for 42 years and I'm, I'm going to give this to my dad as a prison because he used to, he has suffered a lot from Gaddafi and Gaddafi policy. Tell me how you got the hat and where uh, well, you I mean, it suits you. It was, where it was, did you get it from? It was a really pretty hard. I, um, I just went inside his room, which Tell was, was a, yeah, yeah, Gaddafi's yeah. bedroom. And I, it was, uh, it was really, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in Gaddafi's room. Oh my God. But then, then this thing happened. I found this. I, I was like, oh my goodness. But I'm happy now. I'm having this thing. And I'm, I'm happy for Libyans, for, for those people who have suffered a lot. And I, I really thank all, all the countries that have stood with us, that have given us uh, the, uh, the, happy, uh, uh, the help and, and support. Mm. A lot of people have died and a lot of people have been injured. Uh, so, you, I guess you, you must be feeling mixed emotions. Yeah, a lot, a, lot, a lot of friends have died with me in the, in the front lines. Unfortunately, I, I really, I really, really, really uh, had that feeling that they should have been with, with me in this moment. But it's, it's, they, God loved them more than me, maybe, because they're with, next to God. What, yeah. what happens now, do you think, Elwindy? What happens now? Now we should forget all the past. We should take a better, better step. And we should uh, work together as Libyans, Arabians and Berbers. And I am sure, I'm sure Libyans will, will, will shock the world because we, we, we would like to do something. Gaddafi have, have, have put us in a bad situation since this, this past year. There's been lots of talk about revenge, about revenge killings from, from uh, the guys who are on the winning side, which is you. Big moment for you guys, a big, big moment. Can you try and sum up the feelings that you must be going through right now? Well, it's different feelings. It's happening. It's happening. It's just unbelievable. All the people that sacrificed for us, for this moment, we're in front of his compound. And where is he? He's underground. He can't do anything. Where is he? We're looking for you. Where are you? Come on! Come on! Where are you? What we want is Gaddafi and his sons. We're going to get him. And they're going to go to court. And they're going to be judged. That's what we want. The Libyan people, they are kind people. And they're going to... Anybody who... Forget about Muhammad. Muhammad is finished. And his sons are finished. Libya is free now. People have been waiting for this moment for 42 years. We have been waiting for this. And from now on, 
we will have a new Libya. We will have a new Libya. Do you understand what that means? We will have democracy. We will be free. We will be like you in England. I'd like to thank Mr. Cameron for all the help and the support he gave to this country. I'd like to thank all the English people for all the help they have given to this country. It's going to be a very interesting ride. Let's hear what Alice Crawford had to say while she was there. She was live with Sky News as the rebels came into Martyr Square, which used to be called Green Square, in Zawai. She was there live and direct. This actually took place several days ago, and she saw what was coming. Last time I was here in March, they, they weren't rebels as such. They weren't an army. They weren't even a cohesive unit. They were just a town of civilians. Uh, and they, were, they picked up whatever weapons they had to defend themselves against uh, this huge Gaddafi military might. I mean, they really weren't an army. There were a couple of defected soldiers who'd moved over to this side, and I mean a couple. There was only about half a dozen or so. Since then, they have uh, been bolstered by, uh, well, the rebel commander for the Western region told me 3,000 extra men who've come in from Zintan and the Nasusa Mountains and the other areas which have already been claimed by the rebels. And as soon as they arrived in Zawir just a few days ago, the people in Zawir who had been waiting for five months for this help to arrive uh, opened up their arms and embraced the battle again. In the interim time, they've been really suppressed and repressed. As you know, a number of Sky correspondents who've been uh, covering uh, the conflict have been taken to Zawir uh, one or two times at least by the Gaddafi regime from Tripoli on escorted journalistic trips to be shown how Zawir was uh, liberated in their uh, words and how happy they were to be living under the Gaddafi regime. Now that, that proved to be a nonsense. These were people who were bussed in, perhaps paid by the Gaddafi regime, but they certainly weren't representative of the people of Zawir who very much do not want uh, the Gaddafi regime here. They were waiting for help from outside. Over that period of time, they've managed to get um, what appears to be some sort of training. They've certainly been supplemented by an awful... And now you see how so many people came into the fore of this battle of what went down. People, everything's still fluid. Things are still uh, on, can change on the ground. We'll do what we can to keep you posted. Look, I'm setting up now the Syrian show. People, Saji Cassidy Binga, live and direct. Let's take this off the air. Let's give a little shout-out to all the people out there. Enjoy your day. Make a difference. Remember who you are. Don't let nothing stop you. If they waited 42 years to unify against a common goal, of course, the common goal is gone now. We'll see what happens in the country when, when personal interests and tribal interests and regional interests take place. But in your case, what is Singular goal, move towards that goal, make it happen. So I can't the binga, live and direct from Los Angeles. I'm gone. Good night.